Introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. This week I've got Brian Stanton on. Brian is just rising in the ranks as an educator, as a an as an educator, uh, a theater educator, and it's kind of awesome. And I'm envious of kind of all of his success. And it's really cool that he's doing so much. If you're not familiar with what Brian has done, you know, friend him on Facebook maybe or follow his uh, career path so far because he's been teacher of the year for his school in a short amount of time. I believe it's district teacher of the year as well that he became. He, he talks about it a little bit. He got a he gets a car out of it for a year. He gets to drive a car, like a free car. So anyway, Brian was really fun to talk to. He is a super smart guy. Like he's, you know, some of these people that I've talked to are uh, educators first. Some of them are theater uh, people first, theater professionals first, and some of them are both. And Brian is both. He's he's just one of those people that is just this theater professional that is also phenomenal at education because he uh, he got his. I mean, he's he's his credentials in theater are pretty stellar as well. So the dude is just with it when it comes to theater and when it comes to education. So I hope you enjoy this chat with him. Uh, I just got off the T-Tau, T-T-A-O business meeting and open forum. Uh, they had it virtually. I don't know. I actually don't know if they were going to have it virtually or not. Uh, even if TXETA uh, was in person or if it ended up not getting canceled. But anyway, regardless of that, it was virtual and it was fun to kind of listen to all that stuff and hear what they do as an organization. This was my first time to sit in and listen to the entirety of the entire the whole thing. I'm a lifetime member now and so that's kind of fun. I can do that. Partially, well, I don't plan on going anywhere. Uh, I love being at John Cooper. Um, so that's part of why I ended up signing as a lifetime member, because I'd love to, now that I'm removed from having to compete in UIL, I'd like to be more involved. Um, which is crazy because if you talk to me when I first started teaching, I, uh, did not like UIL. I actually hated it. I hated competing. I hated all of everything that had to do with it. And it's almost because of this podcast and, uh, just, uh, learning to love it really getting to know Luis Munoz uh, made me just uh, do a complete 180 when it came to UIL One Act Play and understanding the importance of it and so on and so forth and also getting to know people and yes I've mentioned Billy almost week after week I even have an interview in the can where we talk about Billy DeGroo for quite a while uh, but uh, anyway but getting to know people like that and just seeing how it just affects uh, organizations it affects uh, students and individuals it even you know, directors need stuff too. They they need they need things to latch on to as well. And and I don't mean that negatively, but uh, One Act Play seems to be that for quite a few directors around the state of Texas. So uh, I've done a complete 180. So I've bought into the T-Tau system and look forward to doing more with them if I get the opportunity to do so. But I've got the time, man. You know, over at John Cooper, my schedule's really cush and I've been able to uh, figure out ways to fill that schedule with uh, a variety of, of different things. One of them being uh, T-TECH, uh, the uh, Texas Thespian Educator Conference. 
And with that, we need workshop artists. And I, I know that the juniors uh, just uh, asked for some workshop artists for the end of this month's conference for the junior festival, or not conference, junior festival. And I would love to ask people to submit stuff for TTEC. This isn't until the end of January, January 27th through the 30th. And it is at the Marriott in Sugarland. And if you've never been to the Marriott in Sugarland or that area, it is happening. I don't know if bussin' is the right word. I know bussin' is a word. I think that has to do with food. That's bussin'. You can get your drip on, yo. Anyway, but uh, if you're interested in doing that, interested in being a workshop artist at T-Tech and you are uh, uh, planning on coming, being uh, you know that you're an educator or something, uh, then you can get a discount on your registration. Um, if uh, if if you're thinking about doing that, reach out to me. Reach out to me, Blake.miner at TexasThespians.org, or just you know if you want to hit me, slide into my DMs, if you will, on the Facebooks, uh, then please do that. But I would love to uh, get a proposal from you on what you might want to teach, what you might want to lead teachers with. There are no students at T Tech. That's the beauty of it, and it's intimate. And it's just super nice to be in front of educators. I think also educators get nervous about teaching educators because maybe there's a confidence issue. Oh, I'm not doing it right or whatever. And, you know, we like to banter and argue amongst each other to tell each other how we're doing it either wrong or how we're doing it different than you to, to, to just kind of make it sound like we're doing it better than you. But uh, as someone that, A, talks to educators now all the time, more than weekly, uh, I've found that once you just kind of get past a certain threshold with you people, uh, then you you start to open up and warm up and get just a little easier to talk to. And so I feel like that's the same way at T Tech. I think once you once you get that moment of laughter, once you get that moment of acceptance, uh, these workshops become easier. So you've got seventy five minutes to to, <laughs> to figure it out. So. Uh, that's how long these workshops are going to be. But if you're interested, hit me up. I've chatted way too long. Bobby, uh, this probably wasn't the best intro for you. I apologize. I uh, hope your show went well. Anyway, I hope everybody's show went well. Speaking of Clue, everybody's doing Clue. Everybody's doing Clue. Uh, that's like, and she kills monsters, I think. But but Clue seems to be the hot thing right now. And and I, I don't know why. I, I would love somebody to explain why Clue is... So hot right now. Why? What is? What is it about that show that uh, everybody's doing it? Seems like it seems like noises off uh, meets um, uh, like uh, what's a murder? You know, some sort of Agatha Christie or something. A murder mystery is, has turned into Clue, but Colonel Mustard, you know, in the library stuff. All right, hey, enjoy Brian Stanton. Uh, you know, friend me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at Mr. Blake Miner. Uh, you can follow the Minor Wisdom Pod stuff, but I don't really. I don't really do a lot with that stuff, but I haven't found the need to. Um, also, you know, leave a review, leave some five stars, if you will, and enjoy this week's chat with the one and only, the the, the newly christened uh, teacher of the year district, something. I don't know, man. Just listen to the interview. Have a great week. Bye. I currently teach at Alamo Heights High School in San Antonio. I'm the one and only theater director director in our 5A school. Um, we're a relatively small district, and so there we go. Um, and I have such a winding path in theater. When I was in junior high school, I really wanted to be in choir. 
and I started my sixth grade year and it was all fine and dandy. And then we moved across town and inquire was for girls uh, and boys couldn't be in choir at that school. And so I joined band and became a band kid um, throughout middle school. And when I got to high school, it was all about marching band and marching life. And then the, uh, the auditions were posted for Crazy For You, the musical. Um, and I was like, well, you know, when I was a kid, I used to listen to the cassette of Phantom of the Opera with my mom all the time. And I can sing all the parts as a kid. My students try to get me to sing all the parts now and it's not working so much. Um, but I thought, I'll give it a shot. So I went to the audition and I sang some song. I don't even remember what it was. And the choir director looks at me and she's like, why aren't you in choir? And I said, well, because I don't really know how to sing. I, I play music, I'm an instrumentalist. And, and he's like, you're a singer. And, um, and so I got into the show and as a freshman, I had a featured role, not like a lead, but a featured role. I had a name, which is a win. Um, and I got to sing in French, which is fun because I was one of the cowboy trio in that show. And from there I joined choir and I did all the musicals in high school. And I, we did a cool variety show called Coffee House and it had a different theme every year. And I loved it because it was very historical. Like one year we did like uh, an American history uh, in a musical theater review. And it started off with like Pocahontas. And then we had pieces from Rent later on in the history. And we did 70, 1776 and all this other stuff just kind of woven into like a musical review, which is super cool. And so my experience getting started was like, it's all about the music. And so when I was getting ready for college, my very well-intentioned choir director was like, well, you can sing. And my brain was like, all right, I can sing. I'm a singer. I'm going to go get a degree in singing. And what my brain should have been like was, oh, you should go work on acting. Like if you want to be better at acting, you have to practice acting. Mind boggling. Um, so I went to San Diego State University and got a degree in opera performance and spent a couple years uh, as a chorister with the San Diego Opera. Um, and when I graduated, I began to work for a company uh, called Take Lessons. Uh, it's crazy because they were recently bought by Microsoft, which is nuts. Um, so good for them. But um, my job was to help music teachers and acting teachers find private students to work with. And so it was a nationwide company and I was set up with uh, specific territories. I worked Los Angeles and Chicago and my job was to help them find their students, be a support system uh, as far as this, the actual technolo technology went, um, but then also assist with creating like take lessons live events in their cities. So. I became basically an event planner. Um, and I made this really bold decision just weeks after I adopted three children with my husband to take a leap of faith and apply to be a production manager at SeaWorld San Diego, um, seasonal. 
So I went from this full-time job to I'm going to be a seasonal production manager at SeaWorld. Worst case scenario, I'll go back to my old job uh, in a few months. So I got hired seasonally and then my seasonal became part-time. My part-time became full-time and I worked there for six years as a production manager on uh, their live action stage shows. So for instance, we worked with DreamWorks, their live division, um, and put on a 20 minute version of Madagascar where the, the animals go on vacation to SeaWorld San Diego. And um, I got to work with the opening company on that. And it was really neat because Jeffrey Katzenberg, the CEO of DreamWorks flew in on a helicopter um, to watch our opening show and the real fun thing about it is live the theater being live theater, our entire power grid for this theater went out two hours before showtime. And so there was a mad dash to get electricity back to the building so we can run the show. Um, so it was, you know, the least stressful day of my life, um, but we managed to get it done. And when that show closed a couple of years later, I was shuffled into live events so, you know, theme parks, everything's an event. So I focused on Halloween. Um, I focused on the performance groups for Christmas and I focused on Lunar New Year's. Um, and what was really cool about that experience is I kind of got to like dive into the world of contracting. And all of a sudden I'm talking with the people from America's Got Talent and um, American Idol and, you know, reality shows to get their people to come perform at the park during the summer or for holiday gigs or whatever it might be. And so that spurred me to get a degree in law because I wanted to learn about entertainment law and contract law. Um, right before finishing that law degree, my husband's job moved us to Texas. And so I um, finished my degree and worked on an alternative teaching credential and I went to Alamo Heights for a job fair and I was like, I'm going to be a social studies teacher. I love, I love history. I think that I would be really great about bringing history to life in a classroom. Um, I feel like there are a lot of theater people who love history. Um, and so I applied for social studies and I interviewed um, and I joke with the social studies teacher about how I appreciate that she rejected me um, because the principal saw my resume and said, what do you think about theater? And I said, theater? People have been telling me my whole life that you can't get a job at theater. So I got the credential for theater. I took the test, which I was really scared about because I hadn't been in a theater classroom for a decade at that point. Um, and I'm very happy that I remembered all of it. It didn't go away because I had been, you know, stage managing, directing, music directing, all this stuff while I was at SeaWorld because you don't just wear one hat in theater. Um, and I, I was able to get the credential and a couple months later, a theater position opened up at Alamo Heights High School and I got an immediate second interview for it. Um, and like, I guess they say the rest is history. I've been there uh, for the past three years. This is my fourth year teaching publicly um, or rather in public a school setting. I've done a lot of stuff with nonprofit theater companies. Um, and, and as a private voice teacher teaching singing lessons. But this was my first chance to get in a classroom and I've just, I don't know, I really love it. And it's been such a wild journey because 
I, I'm a pretty passionate person. I feel like all theater people are very passionate people. And so I kind of like drank all the Kool-Aid that was around for public education and how my district handles things, um, including like, we don't want just good students. We want good people. And I was like, yeah, I'm on board with that. Uh, and I, I've done a lot of work with character education for my school that actually prompted getting the teacher of the year for my school last year. And then I wrote uh, an application for the Trinity University Prize uh, for Excellence in Education. And I wrote my answers as if I was writing a play. And the people at Trinity University really love that. The committee at my district really loved that. And I was awarded um, an excellence in education award from Trinity University. And I became the district um, teacher of the year in, my, in the middle of my third year teaching in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and that was crazy. And at the start of this school year, I was surprised as being the winner of a, of a car, um, kind of. Um, I get to borrow a car, a new car, every three months from Principal Auto, Auto Group in San Antonio. Um, and that's just mind boggling. Like I'm getting a year without car payments and I get to roll in a BMW. Um, and it is, it's so neat. It's such an interesting award. Um, something like you never expect to happen in your life. Um, so I feel like really blessed to have finally found what I'm supposed to be doing because everything along the way has kind of led me here. I always knew I wanted to teach. It's just in California, you have to get the degree. You have to get the credential from an actual university. There aren't any alternative options and that place is expensive. <laughs> so financially it wasn't viable for me to ever like quit my job to go back to school to get a teaching credential and a master's because that's what would have had to happen in order for me to be a teacher there. Okay, so, so where where is Whittier? Whittier is a suburb of uh, Los Angeles. It's okay. about 20 minutes from downtown Los Angeles. Um, 20, and 20 we minutes. are famous because Richard Nixon went to Whittier High School, uh, uh, which was my crosstown rival. So we don't need to talk about that. But um, it's a nice little town. It's much bigger now than when I was a kid, yeah. for sure. And uh, when my family first moved to that area, everything was like orange trees. This huh. was before I was born, but everything was just orange groves. Um, and then these cities started popping up around Los Angeles, and that's where we ended up. Wow. So is it 20 minutes from L.A.? with LA traffic or is it like, you know, if, if you were to map it and it was all clear, it's 20 minutes. So the great thing about Whittier <laughs> is that Whittier Boulevard goes right into East LA, uh, uh, right to downtown. So it's 20 minutes okay. from LA Good. Um, yeah. because you can take a side street all the way down if the freeway is jammed. Uh, Whittier is right smack dab between, uh, basically Anaheim and Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, but you don't have to take a highway to get, get to either right. of those locations. You can take surface streets, which is what makes it so much faster. Right. Which is crazy that <laughs> it's <laughs> unlike, you know, most places where the freeway is what gets you some from A to B much faster, not in LA at all. Yeah. yeah. I recently went on a visit to LA this summer and, um, 
was pleasantly surprised that when you have eight lane highways, traffic moves. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we were yeah. getting around a lot faster than I expected. And I was yeah. like, this is weird, but yeah. all right. You're, and you're kind of but, experiencing that a little bit in San Antonio, because I know the infrastructure is changing there too a little bit. So it's because it's growing. Yeah. That city's growing. The infrastructure is so changing that my, my family and I have already moved to a new house from where <laughs> we were when we moved here three years ago because okay. – the construction was causing us yeah. traffic. It's yeah. going to be real great when it's done. Yeah. Um, but where we were living um, was about 20 minutes from the school I teach at. And all of my kids go to the school district that I teach at. So we actually just moved to the school district. Right. Um, so now I have a five minute commute, which is really fun when you have a BMW. Um <laughs> I've been like trying to find an excuse to go on a long drive. Do, do you have to pay for the gas in that thing? Yeah, you gotta okay. pay for all the things. But okay. so far, I've only filled up my gas tank once in a month. So good for you. I'm kind of winning. I guess that's the benefit of a five minute commute. Yeah. And what happens? Uh, uh, this isn't where the conversation needs to go, but I'm, <laughs> I'm curious. So what what happens when that car goes bye bye? What happens when the year is up? Are you are they gonna kind of like peer pressure you into buying a, a BMW, or are you gonna be like, hey? time to go get my Mazda or, you know, uh, something like that. <laughs> so, um, the way that the program works is that this car actually will disappear uh, in November just before Thanksgiving. Okay. So every three months I get to drive a new car from this group, this auto group. Got it. Um, so I'll switch into a mini Cooper in November wow. and then I'll switch into an infinity SUV in what January, February. And then I, I switch into a Volvo, or something for the last three months. It's a year long, but you trade cars every three months. And their goal is that they're going to give you some sort of discount to drive one of those vehicles. Um, I I have dealer plates. I find that weird. (laughs) Um, So like, I'm assuming that any one of the the vehicles that I'm driving will still be around when I'm ready to purchased however um i really want an electric uh either vw bus <laughs> yeah. or maz uh, a mustang okay they have an electric mustang so i'm researching that when i was in california i drove exclusively electric vehicles yeah. they're they're very fast yeah. um which is a lot of fun yeah and so much cheaper to to worry about because there's no gas yeah. Right. So, yeah, my wife has. I'm a, gonna I'm gonna venture down that route and politely thank them for their discounted offer. Yeah, we um, we we have a practically all electric van. It's it's got it's a hybrid technically, but my wife never has to use the gas. But anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, and they're great. And they're it does very it, it does have yeah it does have like a, like when because I, I drive a truck because I'm a Texan you know a stereotypical yeah. white guy drives a truck you know but. Uh, uh, but when she got that van, man, I put my foot down on the on the gas, and it just zzz, just yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it just goes, it just goes. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. Okay, it's, so it's so funny because my husband is like, "Wow, your car goes zero to sixty and blah, da 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 da." I was like, "I know, but yeah. remember that that Volt when we had the Chevy Volt, yeah. and I would just tap it, and it would just fly." Yeah. yeah. And be like everybody, watch out! All right, so uh, I've, I wrote down. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason. I wrote down questions in order of what you talked about. However, okay. the questions now, when I look at them, are like was totally random because it just went along your path. But if I were just asked these, questions, yes. But but uh, so so first of all, you're from California. It took you a while to get to Texas, uh, uh, and that's okay. But you like. For some reason, I, and I don't know if this is going to sound insulting or not. First of all, 
happy birthday. Cause as we record oh, this, you. your birthday was yesterday. Um, yes. so happy birthday. You don't look a day over 21. Uh, but, oh, thank uh, you. you're welcome. Uh, it's the, it's the zoom filter. Obviously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, you, you, uh, seem like I feel like I've known about you much longer than you've been in the classroom but I haven't you know you just you've had so much success so quickly that uh whether you want to be or not your name is out there and so uh, uh congratulations for that but I just feel like the name Brian Stanton has been kind of ingrained in most of our sort of Texas uh, uh teaching world uh, so I don't, I don't really have a question with that. I, I just, I just want to tell you, like, I just think it's so cool how quickly you just got, just immersed yourself in this world. Cause Texas high school theater is unlike anything else in, in, in the, in the United States, uh, and you're shaking yeah. your head. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you should have uh, seen my face the first time I read the UIL handbook for right. Matt Clay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was and like, it, what is this madness? So, so how, you know, you're, let's go to that uh, question about that. In your first year, when you, uh, started doing one act play, how did that feel? Like, I mean, like what, I, I know you just said, what is this madness? But like, what, were you afraid? Were you like, just kind of like, let's just throw something against the wall and see if it sticks for this first year just to learn. I mean, like what kind of path did you take? So into that? I was very strategic with my first year. Um, there's a couple of things I do in my classroom that are like different. One, like I, I look at uh, experiences as uh, theatrical experiences as um as viable theater for my students. For instance, my first year, my students worked on haunted escape rooms and it was what we spent our first two months working on. So I was able to get to know them and their personalities because they got to create the story. Uh, we're coincidentally doing that again right now because we were supposed to do it last year, but COVID. Um, so then I moved on to doing an evening of one act plays where my students helped me pick one act plays that they wanted to do. And it was my tester to figure out what we wanted to do for one act play, because I wanted to feel confident in the piece going into competition so that I, it, even if I didn't fully understand the rules, I would be at least confident in their abilities. Um, so we performed uh, in like December uh, anybody for tea and she kills monsters and my students their previous director um, tended to do things that were a little bit more on the edgier side so they wanted to kind of stick with that vibe and so we did she kills monsters and the competition experience for me was really weird because I'd only done the um the thespian society stuff when I was in high school. I, I was the inaugural president of our troop um, in high school. And so we had gone to competitions um, at the colleges, but it was really focused on like small group and, and solo, just very much the same as it is right now. Um, and so for me, going into a competitive one act was just kind of weird. Like, I, oh, leave it to Texas to, you know, make theater a competition. Um, but what I really loved about it is that in that first year, and it hasn't been replicated again since because just the circumstances of the last few years, but in that first year, my students bonded so much with the other schools 
that some of them are off to college and still like communicating with students from the other schools that we competed against. And for me, that was the thing. That's the thing that I love about one act play is its ability to connect, um, connect students from different schools who may be even in the same area and probably go to all these same places and are constantly around each other and just didn't realize. And so there were students from other schools that began to come to our productions on campus just because they wanted to support their friends. Um, I see them all over Instagram with each other now as they're going through college. And I really love that. But the actual like adjudication process for me was confusing. Um, and I think for me, it's because the goal is to put on a great performance to make sure your students are having fun, to make sure they've got their acting, you know, voice projection, all the things, right? And, but also there's always the side of like, what are, is the judges like taste and, and what are the judges thinking about this piece and have the judges ever, ever actually performed this piece or directed this piece. And, and so um, my first year, I was here from out of state and uh, a, a judge who shall not be named um, basically gave us a lot of feedback that had to do with how they had previously directed or things that come to mind if they were to direct it. Um, she kills monsters, there's evil cheerleaders. Um, and and the director was like, you know what I think of when I think of cheerleaders? I think of mums. And I'm like, what's a mum? Because I'm not from here. Now I, there's mums hanging down the front of my door right now going crazy because it's that time of year, but I just didn't know. Um, and so for me, it's like, how do you balance? This is what I know is true and good for my students with like, what are the judges gonna think? And also how do I tell the students or equate the fact that this is one person's opinion um, and that that opinion has value, but it can't be everything. Um, and so that was a really hard learning process. And I think that it'll get easier over time. Um, the year after uh, we decided to do the Scottish play, we blame ourselves uh, for COVID because I was like, let's just ditch this idea of superstition. Superstitions only have power if you give it to them. And we were like, Macker's this and Macker's that on, on stage. And I was like, sorry, folks, it was me. Um, but we had a really great clinic and the clinician like caught on to everything that we were doing. Um, we had said it like Riverdale, Sabrina, the, uh, the chilling adventures of Sabrina, like modern, dark, gothic kind of vibe to it. Um, and the adjudicator for our clinic was like, I get it. I see it. You're making amazing pictures. The way you're setting up the set is so neat. Um, and that's the one thing that I feel like I'm decent at is utilizing the one act play set. Um, and then, and then we uh, get to competition and we had advanced, um, but the feedback was like, oh my gosh, this person is wearing denim, how dare you? And I was like, it's, it's, a, mo it's a modern piece. Like, 
kids in high school. It's like set like they're almost in high school and like it's a it's a modern piece. Like I don't know what what you want me to do. Um, and like the whole idea of where we were headed because it had this kind of vibe that was a, probably too contemporary for that judge uh, just went over his head. But their acting, uh, you know, got them to progress and they did a really great job with that. And some of the students were recognized for their acting in that. Um, especially some of, especially some of my women, because they took on like, um, and were able to really like give themselves a vocal variety and change their stature. So that way they were a comparable, um, foe for Macbeth. Um, and so I, I went, I was super excited after the clinic and then we get the feedback and I was like, all right, all right, all right, everybody. We're gonna just take a breath here and remember that this is one person's opinion. And then redistricting happened. Shuffle and move all around. And um, that is like mind boggling. Because like I said, I'm a, I'm a one teacher school for theater. Uh, small school district, but all these other small school districts that are near me have two to three, sometimes four people devoted to theater. Um, and we're all in the same category. And so um, while there are things in place, including, you know, the use of the one act play set um, and, and rules to help with equalizing the playing field, there's nothing that can top having personnel resources. Um, so last year we took a comedy and, and the, 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 the feedback was a comedy when there's no audience, so brave. And I was like, uh, yeah, I see what you mean, except for like, you should choose the piece for the students and the students loved the piece and, uh, and really brought it. And I say that I'm really good with the one act play set because I actually built like a, a mid-century modern kitchen on stage using the one act play set to create like an island and a and a and shelves with a backsplash and stuff. It was super cool. I'm gonna replicate it one day when I have a need for it. But um it was super neat, and that's like big kudos that we got there. But we were the alternate for our zone. Um and it was fine because I think that honestly it would have just gotten harder to try to do comedy in a blank room, which I fully understand and appreciate. Uh, the year prior when we did Macbeth, it was like the season of dark. And so my students were like, we need, we need comedy. And I'm like, we're going to have some comedy. All right. Uh, we had done Carrie and, and we had done the crucible and then we did Macbeth. Like it was dark season for us. Um, so this year we've got a mix and that that is nice. We've got comedy, we've got tragedy and there's a good season. And I'm, I'm teaching them about planning a season because it's so important because I don't do this by myself. I have my students get involved. Um, and I'm actually really, really excited for one act play which I didn't think I would be. Like I, I was honestly dreading it during the summer and then I came back to school and I had figured out what play I want to do. And I was like, this is it, I'm excited. And worst case scenario, you're gonna have a really great time. Um, and that's where I'm sitting with it. Yeah. Because last, uh, two years ago, the year, dun, 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 that got canceled. <laughs> um, yeah. We 
had a vision board and it had like, we're going to state for this and this and this. And then we didn't do any of that because uh, things got canceled. I had students, you know, go on for theatrical design and then they weren't able to update their, their stuff because of COVID. And so things were just a little wonky. Um, but I, I'm super excited to focus on just like, let's just have a good time. Yeah. Because one X play can be super stressful if you don't remember that you're just putting on a show. Right. Um, and I still struggle with the very large handbook um, and have it printed out so that I can reference it as we're doing things. Um, and I'm even having my technical, my students who are considered technical directors, that's their, their track in my program. Um, they are reading the handbook and going through all the technical specifications so that they know what we can do. Um, and then I reference it just in case, uh, cause you always want to double check. Um, but I really told them like this year, we're focusing on just doing things that we want to do. So my seniors were my freshmen when I've started, they've been talking about Cyrano de Bergerac for years. So we're doing Cyrano just as a, as a play, um, in early January because they wanted to do it and they're creating their own adaptation because it's in the public domain. And so we're reading the story in class right now and they're kind of coming up with their world they want to set it in. And we're just doing it because they want to, because they want to have fun. Um, and then we're doing James and the Giant Peach and we're doing Mama Mia this year, um, which is going to be obnoxious and super fun all at the same time. And then we've got drama for one act play. So that's where our balance comes in. Um, so I'm not ready to divulge it yet, but we're doing yeah, drama. That's okay. Are you going to let your kids watch, uh, was it Roxanne? I think the Steve Martin. Movie. The Steve Martin yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. They've been telling me about other versions of, of Cyrano that they've watched yeah. where it's like referenced in certain TV shows for yeah. just specific episodes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll watch all of them. And then we'll figure out like, what do we want to do with it? Because <laughs> there's so many options. It really could be set wherever. Um, well, just don't do it modern in jeans. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, jeans, yeah no, no jeans, no jeans. Absolutely not. How like, I will you. never do that again. How dare you? So, <laughs> I know. So I, you, you kind of quickly glossed over this, but you said you went to law school. <laughs> like, so you, you like you like you finished law school? No. Oh, so, okay. I have a master's degree in law, which isn't law school okay, per se. Okay, okay. Uh, it's an MS okay. uh, focused on law, and it's to help. Uh, folks who are interested in becoming like a paralegal Got or it. who have a bachelor's degree, but wanted to study law before going to law school. Right. So honestly, if I hadn't been hired as a teacher, I probably would be at like St. Mary's going to law school. Yeah. Here so, so you would, but you would, uh, I mean, I guess that says a lot about how you probably dissect the one act play <laughs> book, you know, like, I mean, you probably, compared to other directors who kind of walk in and um, uh, you, you'd be a great contest manager. Let's put it that way, you know, as a contest manager, cause you. you know, I just feel like you would, you're, you're probably a little more analytical with uh, your memory and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I, you know, when you're, when you're One done. One of the things that I was doing at SeaWorld was also process improvement. Yeah. So that's the thing that drives me crazy about the one act yeah. playbook is like, we yeah. could shorten this and still get this message across. Oh, yeah. um, Trust me. <laughs> I know. But 
several 20 or 30 pages um but yeah Yeah. i i kind of take when they do updates i go search through and find them and then and figure out what those updates are and then i have like my own little checklist right um related to specific questions that i need to look up i'm pretty analytical in that sense um I think where it helps me most though is in like dramaturgy right? because I am really good at dissecting words and, and getting the meaning of what's coming across because a lot of my work in that master's program was reading court documents and then writing a, a, a formal summary of it or a, or a legal brief is what they're called. Um, so I would read these case files and then I'd have to find the key points of what the rulings were and what evidence supports those rulings and what other cases they referenced for it. And so for me, I think that the analytical side from law school actually helps me more as a dramaturg. And I found that because I just actually finished my first summer um, in Houston for the masters in arts for theater teachers. Um, And when we were doing the dramaturgy, I was like, oh, I'm back in, I'm back in, uh, in legal brief world. You know, we had to you know, do triggers and heaps and we had to create dramaturgical packets based off of a single question. And I was like, this is my jam. This is what the, the master's degree that I had already done is basically this. But instead of talking about law, I'm talking about theater or this specific play. So um, Who, I think t- that's where, that's where things have more clarity. I'm still confused by the one act play packet. Well, so. yeah. I mean, that's why I moved into private school, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but again, I'm a contest manager, but we have the luxury of sitting there with your computer. And, uh, you know, if you have a question about how tall your tree is supposed to be, I can quickly look it up for you. But, uh, so, uh, it's you're, eight feet by four feet. yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> See, <laughs> you could, you could do it. Uh, so with the UH program, who teaches, uh, uh, dramaturg? Uh, class. Uh, Dr. Rob Shimko. Oh, he's Shimko. the head of the, okay. the theater department, and okay. he's also the head of the playwriting program. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm a UH grad, but uh, Shimko wasn't there. Well, he was there right at the end, but he wasn't the head of the department. But he was he was just a a, a wee little nobody, and now he's grown into this, you know, somebody. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So you you are kind of a lifelong learner. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that? is that something you've always been or is that something that you eventually grew into? Cause I, I, you know, I personally, I, I would always say if, if almost 40 year old me could look at 15 year old me, uh, and tell 15 year old me, Hey, you're going to go on and get a master's degree and you're going to apply for PhD programs. 15 year old me would have said, no, I'm not like, there's no way. Uh, but have you, were you always this lifelong learner or is that something you just kind of eventually as an adult learn to appreciate so my parents had a motto for my brothers and I when I was a kid which was basically be better than us um do better like than we did and my parents graduated high school my dad went to a trade school to become a mechanic and is very successful doing that um but an auto mechanic and um and so like the bar for me was set at like, if you get the master or the bachelor's degree, then you've done better. Right. Um, so I did that and I was a great student in high school and I was a horrible student in undergrad. Um, and then when I went 
to get my master's, it was more like I needed to know more information about this specific field. Um, so when I got my master's in law, it was because I wanted to know more about contract law and entertainment law and how to write writers in an appropriate way um, and how to read writers correctly and whatnot. Um, and ironically, because I ended up leaving SeaWorld in the process of doing that degree, I switched everything and I, uh, I wrote my master's thesis about um, workplace discrimination in the LGBTQ community. Uh, and the, the legal brief that I wrote, my 50 page document actually is all the same cases the Supreme Court heard last year when they declared that workplace discrimination against LGBTQ people is, is discrimination, it's unconstitutional. So it was kind of cool watching that come to life because I had done all the research and I had written this whole you know, book about, uh, about this thing. And then all of a sudden, all these same exact cases were making their way through the court system all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, and the Supreme Court came to the same conclusions that I did from reading the case files. So it was kind of neat to see that. Um, so that spurred out of a necessity of just wanting to learn more information. That was a hidden master's degree. I didn't tell my husband I was doing it until about halfway through. Um, he's like, wait, you're in your last year of grad school. I was like, yeah, yeah. I'd just been like reading and doing things on my own. Um, and then, um, this one, I feel like I have so much experience in theater, but I don't have the educational background for it. And I've got what it's like to be an actor in a high school and uh, in a college setting, but I only took one acting class when I was in college. Um, so my foundation for being able to teach acting and especially to be able to teach technical theater, um, has been pretty weak. So like after my first year, I did some summer programs actually in Houston uh, with different schools who were just teaching about technical theater. I was like, I need to understand this because I'm supposed to be able to build sets. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then COVID happened and ETC made all those courses free for lighting. And I was like, ah, I'm now an expert on lighting. Great, sets done, lighting done. But what about all the rest of it? So, um, the non-secret master's degree is going to U of H. Um, and I had applied and gotten in for 2020. Um, but with everything going on with COVID, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait a year. I also need to fundraise. And I was able to get some scholarships in that time. Um, so I started this last summer and it's been pretty fantastic. Like I've always wanted to work in theater. And I think that because I either misunderstood feedback or I was intentionally driven in one direction that maybe not have been what my goals were, um, I just never got the opportunity. So now I feel like I'm actually doing something that is for me. Um, and the joy of it was like, I didn't get much of a summer, but I wasn't focused on my students. I was focused on me becoming a better actor, me becoming a better designer, me becoming a dramaturg. And I'm actually starting to get requests from local theater companies where I can do a little bit of dramaturgical work on the side um, after sending some stuff in. And that for me is like, it's everything because this is something I've always wanted to do. And now I have the chance to do it. Right. Um, so 
to answer your question, <laughs> kind of been a lifelong learner, yeah. but it's more like circumstances have led me to want to know more. Right. And every time there's something I don't want to know, it's like, I want to become an expert at it. Right. That's or good. rather not don't want to yeah. know, but don't know. So I want, I want to be an expert. Right. A lifelong learner, but with intention i got it yeah <laughs> so uh i've there, got there's very likely a doctorate on on the way yeah. in the future i just don't know like my choices are like leave teaching or get an education yeah. degree and i don't know if i want you know a curriculum instruction degree right. even though i could focus it on theater right i just yeah. don't know if that's what i want well uh yeah and you know people like philip taylor has going through a phd program while also leading an entire, you know, one of the larger districts in the state. District, and, yeah. You know, uh, 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 I don't know, Greg, Greg Douglas, uh, uh, or it's Greg Douglas, Jeffrey Douglas, uh, who was on here, he he got a doctorate. I mean, he went off and left the state and went to Georgia and stuff, but he got one and pretty much in, for lack of better words, sports versus theater that's kind of like hit what his phd oh, which is kind of neat right you know yeah. uh but anyway so yeah I, i'm the same thing but i want to uh say a couple other things real fast and and then ask you kind of one big final question uh yeah. to get you out of here but real quick uh about SeaWorld because i got to touch on SeaWorld. i've got some like rapid fire ones one okay. have you been to the san antonio sea world uh i actually worked in san antonio sea world for about six months before oh. i got hired at alamo heights well, so I had, I was separated from the company because California pays more. Um, and then <laughs> on the first day that I could come back where I could Texas pay yeah. is when they hired me. Gotcha. Um, so <laughs> I did, I actually was the person who brought electric ocean to okay. uh, SeaWorld San Antonio. So I don't know if you've been there in the last couple of years, but it's our summer, their summer event. Um, and I was the person who kind of spearheaded that event uh, my first year here. All right. Um, and then I did the relaunch of the monster stomp show, um, as the music director. And it's actually really neat because some of my friends who are, are from San Diego, uh, they live in New York now they've gotten calls to, Hey, come be a seasonal performer for SeaWorld. And they get the, the audition music and it's like adapted by Brian Stanton. They're sending me a message. And I was like, yep, that's me. I did that. That's cool. Um, so that was kind of cool. Cause I didn't expect all these worlds yeah. to collide. Yeah. Uh, and then another quick one. How do you feel about free Willy? I don't mind free Willy okay. so much as I hate blackfish. Okay. 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 There you go. I I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. So uh, I want to ask you one final question of, uh, in the world of education. So uh, relatively quickly, you've, you've had some pretty good success. And so they say you're not really comfortable as a theater teacher or as a teacher in a classroom until after year three, right? And uh, you have had really up to this point, if I'm not mistaken, only one full year, uh, no interruption in the classroom. Uh, you know, your second year was cut short. Last year was obviously last year. We Online. That. Yeah. yeah. And then I was really teaching film last year. Yeah, exactly. And then this year we're, you know, it's somewhat normal-ish, but it's still got a little bit of that flavor of you know, hybrid asynchronous elements, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, so what is it right now? Because you, you've, you've won teacher of the year, uh, not just at your school level, but at the district level, you get to drive cool cars. Uh, you know, what is it that, that makes you, that you think, and I, I want you to, I want you to 
put the the humble side, or as we say in uh, Houston, humble, uh, the <laughs> the humble side uh, away and be a little egotistical. What do you think makes you a strong educator uh, this quickly? Uh, I mean this with no disrespect at all to any educator who went a different route. I think for me, the thing that sets me aside that that is the fact that I've had so much experience doing so many types of theater outside in the world. So doing professional theater where I, I'm putting together small plays for theme parks um, or just coaching people on how to be big bird. Um, these are all unique, weird experiences that apply so much to what we do on stage. And, and so I think that having all of that previous experience just like helped me because I don't see theater as one or two things. I see it as anytime somebody's watching you. Um, and so that's why my students do um, escape rooms and my students are in the process of writing a murder mystery dinner um, which if it's good, I'm going to send it off to a publisher. Um, but it's a Thanksgiving family murder mystery dinner, um, loosely titled pass the potatoes. Oh, wait, you're dead. Um, but I think about just any kind of place where you're in front of people as theater. So I've done, because I was working in San Diego, I had been working with the La Jolla Playhouse for a while, just on behind the scenes things. And they have a Without Walls Festival, which is literally putting on plays at the beach or next to some trees on a college campus. And um, I saw them build a two room apartment uh, in between some dorms and, we, and they did a show there. And so, because my whole experience has been not your typical uh, theater track, I think that it's really helped to uh, separate things. And then I, I'm gonna give credit where credit is owed. Um, I was a, a leader for the San Antonio Council Boy Scouts of America. And um, I was doing trainings there where I led uh, trainings for the adults on how to let the student, the, their scouts take the lead. Um, and because of those kind of trainings, that's how I developed my program. I run the program like we're a nonprofit theater company and my student leadership is the board of directors and I'm the artistic director. So they help me with planning everything. So that way they get student voice in everything that we do. And then um, they're also involved in the process along the way. So we run it very much like a business where they're responsible for a lot of things that are happening like uh, we're doing the escape rooms, that's an in-class production, but they're also doing a haunted drive-through and the murder mystery and they're running that by themselves. I'm just watching. And the haunted drive-through is something that came about last year because they just wanted to do something live. And so we rented some you know, wedding venue tents, parked three cars in them, and then they came up with some storyline about a serial killer at you know, lookout point where everybody's going to neck, you know, like it's the 1950s. And then they spent three hours listening to people scream and they just fell in love with it. So they're doing it again this year. Um, but, you know, the Boy Scouts really taught me how can I empower children to take the lead on what they're doing and really take control of their education. So then now all I have to do is adapt that to the grading policies. Wow. And that, that is much 
more difficult, but uh, yeah. definitely viable option as long as they're doing their work and getting their stuff done. Minor wisdom.